The following podcast is a discussion between two experts in their fields of beauty and not meant to be taken as medical advice. Be sure to consult with your doctor if you have any medical inquiries. Ramona, what are we talking about today? I think that we're talking about rhinoplasties. And I specifically was really interested in having you elaborate and give me a little bit further detail on what exactly a 5D nose is. So I'm going to clarify that. The 5D is not the, the levels D, D, D. Uh, but each D stands for something different. And uh, this developed actually from a lot of research on patients and what they want. So if you look at what most patients want, and I mean by most patients, not just me saying what I think they want. This is from looking on Instagram, studying the top 50 Instagrammable faces. Mm. And we don't want everyone to look the same, but when people are choosing a nose, oftentimes you choose a face they find attractive. Mm. There's a huge AI uh, built into the social media channels and certain faces are going to kind of light up and certain faces are not going to. There's other factors there. And so the classic nose um, is typically smaller, not larger. And that's, that's what patients are gonna be talking about wanting. And so these are the kind of some of the characteristics in those noses manifest into a nose. Um, not everyone's gonna get every component of this, but these are the overlying principles. Very interesting. But what do the D stand for? Okay, so we'll go D by D. So the first D in the 5D nose is going to be decrease the nasal hum. Um, and so decreasing the nasal hump, probably the most common complaint from patients coming in. Um, nasal hump, nasal bump, uh, the bridge is irregular. Um, either way, and we talk about decreasing that. The standard way to decrease it, when I say standard, that's kind of how most people decrease it kind of in, um, you know, kind of out there. They use this thing called a hammer and a chisel. I think the first time someone sees that, I mean, what would be your reaction if someone says, I have a chisel and a hammer, and um, they're gonna go up to a loved one and just hammer away. I think I would call 911. <laughs> um, yeah, it's, it's a little bit of a different concept. And they're kind of crude tools. I believe if you look at cave paintings, um, uh, you know, what is that area in France with the cave paintings? Um, uh, is that Sartre, France? What is that name, do you know? Um, anyways, if you look at the cave paintings, I believe they have a chisel and hammer I don't think they were doing rhinoplasty with those, <laughs> with those tools. You never know. But it was a few years later they did that. And I think we have to kind of evolve behind those tools mm -hmm. to more sophisticated tools. So so the tool that I like is um, uh, ultrasonic rhinoplasty mm -hmm. um, for that first D. And what is our second D? Nick, do you say talk about ultrasonic more? Okay, Nick wants us to talk about ultrasonic more. Okay, so we're going to talk about ultrasonic more. So you mentioned ultrasonic. What exactly does that mean? When I first heard the word ultrasonic, I was thinking of a rocket ship. Doesn't it sound like a rocket ship? It sounds like a disco move, I think. Like, oh, ultrasonic. Do the ultrasonic. I see a dance move. There's definitely something shiny and metallic. <laughs> yes. Whether it's a dance move or a rocket ship, or perhaps someone wearing a rocket ship shirt dancing. Or maybe someone doing a dance move on a rocket ship. 
Either way, that's that's probably, I would say those are definitely ultrasonic, but mm -hmm. when it comes to rhinoplasty, I don't think either of those work, but it's, <laughs> it, so it's a different tool. So ultrasonic, it's a cool technology because what it does is it essentially vibrates. So that's the, not just sonic, which is the sound waves and vibrating, it's ultrasonic. So it vibrates really, really fast. And since it vibrates really fast, it can manipulate certain tissues differently than others because mm. each tissue has its own little frequency. It's a lot of information, I know. But the, the benefit of this tissue is, um, this tool, is that you can take down bone without affecting any of the surrounding tissues. And it's super gentle. It's designed just to um, do that. And it keeps those tissues healthy and can make them ultra smooth. Almost like if you have your nails done at the mm -hmm. salon, and you ever do you ever see them do that little machine on you? Oh, for sure. They do it on you every time. Sometimes. Um, when you haven't gone for a while, they're like, oh, yeah. "We need to bring out." <laughs> well, the... no, when I haven't gone for mm -hmm. a while, then they bring out that chisel. And the <laughs> <laughs> they bring out the chisel and the hammer. <laughs> but regularly, they... okay. But it's it's similar to that same tool, but it's obviously designed for the nose. Mm -hmm. So that's the first tool. That's ultrasonic. That's taking down the nasal hump. A lot that goes into nasal hump, but that's like the beginning part of it. Do you feel that with the ultrasonic, you can? have more control or more precision on what you would like to do or what you want to do? Um, yeah, because you're seeing more. And this is the part that's hard for someone who's uh, not familiar with rhinoplasty, you know, you have to kind of understand that part. Most surgeons, they only see the very little bit at the top of the bridge of the nose. So they don't really understand what's going on there. Um, and so, and this is me doing lots of noses, I kind of was guessing. You can kind of see it, but when you do it with an ultrasonic approach, this is the way I do it, you um, you can see everything on the sides of the bone. And it's not safe to do that unless you're using an ultrasonic because that skin is important to hold the bones together. Uh, so with this approach, it's safe because it keeps the underlying tissue together. So you see everything and it's way more precise. You see every little nuance in the bone. So. <laughs> that, that sounds like a beautiful song. Is that our first caller? <laughs> <laughs> caller, what's your question? Okay, so that's ultrasonic. That's our first D. Um, is, that, is that all we need to know about the 5D one? No, we have more Ds. <laughs> we have a few more Ds to go. So what is our second D? Okay, so the second D, after you take down the hump, is to decrease the length of the nose. Okay. Um, this is something that patients oftentimes confuse with another term of the nose. So I'm going to talk about decreased length, and I'm going to combine this with the third D, which is projection. Um, and most people don't know the difference between length and projection. They can get them confused. So the projection, this kind of makes sense. If something projects out, that's going to be your nasal projection. Mm -hmm. So the farther your nose projects out, um, the more prominent it will be in that dimension. The longer your nose is, it's measured from the top of the nose all the way to the tip. So the longer your nose is, um, you know, then that length, that line will be longer. Mm -hmm. And both of those are different elements. Most patients, not all patients, want their length and their projection to be smaller. Mm -hmm. So that would be the second and third uh, dimension of the nose. And again, there's specialized techniques to kind of move that nose closer. Sometimes when patients look at my noses and they'll see them in the OR, they're like, wow, that is a lot smaller. Like, how did you do that? And that took me years and years to kind of get to that point with techniques to kind of really move the nose back uh, in a specialized ways to still make the nose look normal and still manage the soft tissue around it and still have the nose look good in multiple dimensions. So that's second and third D. Very interesting. One of the things that I also saw on your website when reading about consultations with you 
is that you offer morphs or 3D imaging. I found that very interesting. Can you tell me a little bit more about that? Yeah, so the, the morph uh, process, um, which I don't like that term morph, but it is what it is. I think it's about talking about taking someone's face and what happens is we'll turn that face into an avatar of sorts. It'll be a three-dimensional image. Once it's in a three-dimensional form, we're gonna kind of morph or manipulate that image. And it's super important because the very old school way of doing this is just to say, you know what, what I'm gonna do is what I wanna do and just kind of go over there without a plan. But um, most people wouldn't build a house without a blueprint. And you definitely want a blueprint of what the patient wants, what you want. The new school way of morphing and manipulating things is to take an image and preferably I think 3D, change that. And then what I like to do, this is a really important part, not just change the image so that I like it, I'll actually talk to the patient about what they want and they'll kind of manipulate the image so they get a lot of input in so that too. So it's a collaborative process, you with your patient. For sure, I mean, I'm, I'm not sure if you've ever uh, worked on with a designer before on a kitchen. Um, imagine if a designer went to your house and said, we're only going to do everything is all black kitchen. Um, everything's going to be, the countertops are going to be sparkly. Um, or it just tells you, I'm just going to do what I want to do and just do your kitchen. Would you do it with them? Probably not. Uh, I didn't. I made a note. Yeah. <laughs> it was, uh, but that being said, you know, so your nose is super important. You think on the center of your face, it's uh, perhaps the most identifying part of our face. So if I'm going to change that, if I'm privileged enough to change that for someone, I really want to make sure they have input on what we can do with them. And so that's that collaboration. We're going to go back and forth. I think that's really interesting and honestly, really great. Again, when I look at your Instagram, I see all these really happy patients with these really beautiful results. And I also noted how everyone's nose still looked like them. Their noses were what they wanted, but it still looked like them. It still reflected them. Not everyone had the same nose. Not everyone had a cookie cutter nose. It was really everyone still looked like themselves, but a little bit more happy, a little bit more confident. I think that's really great. And I, I think that reflects in your collaborative process. For sure. And I think it's that part where I think patients have, like you're alluding to, patients have this part where they see themselves and then they want to potentially have the inside of themselves look like the outside. And for some patients, it might be a massive change. For other patients, it might be a little bit less of a change. And that's that difference that you're going to see from patient to patient. Um, how many Ds are we at right now? We did all three. Well, there's five Ds. We have more, more Ds. Uh, I don't worry, there's not 30 Ds. We're, we're just like, we're on. <laughs> okay, I think, Dr. Shaw, I think we're on to our fourth D now. What is our fourth D? Okay, so we've done the uh, length, projection, the nasal hump. Um, that's three. The fourth one is going to be... Nick, what we have? <laughs> we have length, projection. Oh, okay, okay, I'm good. Okay, edit that part out. Okay, so now we're at the tip. Okay, this is another common concern. So lots of patients will look at their nasal tip and say, I want to have more definition in there. So that's the fourth tip is decreasing the tip size. Mm -hmm. Now this is harder to kind of quantify. With the hump, you can kind of look at the side and say, do I want to change it this dimension, mm -hmm. um, you know, the area. But with the tip, it's oftentimes a front view change where they want to see that definition. When they look in the front, they want to see the nose narrower. This is also where, um, I think a lot of patients want to see their nose small, but not really sharp and pointy. So it's kind of coming up with that concept of a smaller, softer tip um, that still looks like them. Interesting. I also have heard the term tip plasty, 
it's not something that is where you would solely focus on the tip? Solely focusing on the tip is exactly right. And some patients, um, there's not many, um, but there's a few patients out there who, a um, smaller percentage, who really happy with everything. They say, I just want to change my tip of my nose. So that's a specific type of rhinoplasty where they can just change that part of it. Um, and uh, most patients, if they really look at their nose, and if we're going to be there anyways, we're like, hey, let's make sure every aspect of your nose, if we're going to be there, is as perfect as possible. Uh, but there's just a lot of number of patients who just can focus on an area. Interesting. So I think that takes us to the 50. What is the 50, Dr. The 50. Shaw? Now, Nick, we added the 50. It used to be the 4D approach. Yeah. And decided we need more Ds. Yeah. Um, so the 50 is deviated septum. Ah, okay. And so this is kind of an interesting D. So uh, this is changing the inside of the nose. Mm -hmm. And this is an observation. So if you look at the medical literature, 80% of the population on a CT or MRI has a deviated septum. Um, and you're like, wow, that's a lot of people. Um, and if you actually look inside noses, almost every nose, if you really look inside, has some sort of deviation. Interesting. And so this dimension is super important for us to fix because this is changing the foundation of the nose. The septum is essentially this little structure of cartilage and bone in the back of it that divides our nose in a perfect world completely in half. Mm -hmm. But in some cases, it's slightly off to the side, slightly above, slightly below, and we want to center the septum so that the nose is as centered as possible. Um, it's also going to have one really important uh, factor that's going to improve, and that is breathing. And super important that we don't want to make just a beautiful nose, but we want to make a nice functional nose that you can breathe through, uh, smell, sleep well uh, through your nose. Interesting. How would, are, are people born with deviated septums? How does that happen? And how would you know if you had a deviated septum? So the best way to tell is to look, not just yourself. You really can't look with a flashlight inside your nose. Uh, the best way is to look with a headlight and something called anterior rhinoscopy. It's like a little speculum you put inside your nose. You open it up, it doesn't really hurt. And when you look in there, especially if someone's trained, they can look inside and say, is your septum straight or is it deviated? Mm -hmm. um, and um, are we born with it? So I get into these areas where I get, I get hyper-focused. So there's a study I did at NYU, so a couple of other authors, and we looked at essentially three groups of patients. In the first group, we had babies. Now, we didn't study the babies. We looked at MRIs of patients who just had MRIs for whatever reason. Um, the second group were toddlers, and then the third group were adults. And in these three groups, we were just looking at MRIs just in the normal population of whether or not their septum is deviated. So that question is, are we born with it? In the babies, the incidence of deviated septum really wasn't that high. Mm -hmm. um, so we were seeing that most of the septums were straight. Once we get to the toddler phase, um, that's when we started seeing the deviations. And we moved a little bit beyond to the adult phases, we saw even more deviated septums. So my theory, at least, is that a lot of these micro traumas that happen when we're little Hmm. kind of create this deviation in the nose as we're growing and it gets um, exponential as we get older. Interesting. Does when you have when you have a rhinoplasty and someone has a septum deviation, does that make the rhinoplasty um, a more arduous process for you or the recovery process for the patient a little bit harder because there is that functionality aspect involved? Um, I think it used to. Um, you know, I think in older school techniques, um, if you're packing a nose, for sure it's going to be more difficult. 
Um, there's definitely a lot more training that happens if you're going to straighten the septum. Probably about 50% of rhinoplasty surgeons don't or can't or not qualified to change septums. Um, and they'll just try to work on the superficial aspects of the nose. Um, but changing the septum, again, I'm going to change it in every patient. So it doesn't add more time, but in some cases it does if the septum is really deviated. So if it's slightly deviated, which is most of the population, um, it really is going to be what we expect. If it's really extraordinarily deviated, then you can run into some really unique cases where you're shifting things over and stabilizing, sometimes building new septums. And that can, again, add a lot of time to the case, but it's part of what we do. You mentioned building a new septum. How would you do that? Um, well, you can't just go to the store and say... <laughs> can't buy go to Amazon? Can't go to Amazon for that one um, and buy these little parts for it. So um, most of those little parts, though, they're in our body. So for some patients, you can take your existing septum, remove rather than throw away, remove that little part and then use those to kind of amplify, improve, create. In some cases, especially if the patient's already had surgery, doesn't have enough cartilage, there's other areas we can shop for in the body. Wow. And that would be the ear and the rib. Wow. And both of those areas um, have, in most patients, enough cartilage to kind of, again, build a septum. That's very interesting. Do you know um, can you preempt that or do you only know when you've gone into it that you're going to have to get some cartilage from someplace else? Um, the only time I really am um, worried about getting cartilage from someone else are in two specific circumstances. The first one is if someone's had surgery before because okay. you don't know if your store, someone's taken from your store mm -hmm. and you need, might need more material and then so that would be choice one. The second choice is if you're going to make the nose bigger. Hmm. So if you're going to be adding to the bridge, um, adding to the projection. So again, these are kind of different than the standard 5D nodes where we're kind of making them smaller. In those cases, you might need to add something. And again, you might need more material. Oh, that really makes me think of this. Have you ever had an instance where you actually did have to make a nose larger? Have you ever had to actually correct another surgeon's work and make a nose larger because they've made it too small for a patient's face? Um, yes and yes. Um, so again, everything about this is balance and proportion. And so making a nose larger um, very common in um, other um, ethnicities where um, having more of a bridge is, is going to be more desirable. So that's going to be patients um, from an East Asian background, typically not a Southeast background, but an East Asian background, and where the bridge and the projection of the nose, they want the nose to kind of come out a little bit more. In some African-American patients, and that's a very diverse population, um, you can see patients from all over different backgrounds. In some African-American patients and in some Hispanic patients, the tip might be under projected mm. and they might want the tip to come out further to give it more support um, or same with the bridge. Um, and then with rhinoplasty, it's very common to see patients, especially from other ethnicities where the surgeons use different techniques where they tried to reduce um, a patient's nose and the skin framework wouldn't allow them to do that. So, um, so we have to give more support to the nose. And so um, supporting the nose means not necessarily pushing out against the nose, but stiffening and giving the nose enough uh, dimension to kind of get the shape we want. Very interesting. And you mentioned, we, we talked earlier about how um, you really do unique noses and you don't do cookie cutter noses. And um, we concluded it's the collaboration that you do as well with your patients. Um, and you mentioned different ethnicities. Do you take an approach where you have a different um, journey or game plan or um, plan of action with patients from different ethnicities than you would with 
someone from another ethnicity. Definitely. I mean, someone's ethnic background and makeup and really important ethnic background that they identify with is super important. Um, and that's going to kind of dictate how they perceive themselves. I think plastic surgery, especially nasal rhinoplasty surgery, it's about making the outside reflect who they are on the inside. Um, I come from a mixed background. So I come from a South Asian and European background. And so um, and I kind of identify with being more multicultural than uh, unicultural and becoming more common now. But so, but some patients might say, hey, I'm East Asian, but I really have some roots um, over here. Um, I really don't get patients who want to look like a different ethnicity. Mm. That's really not, you know, mm -hmm. kind of something I see, at least in my practice. Mm -hmm. But I get a lot of patients who are like, you know, I'm, um, I really identify with making my nose like this or that mm -hmm. and having different aesthetic goals. Very interesting. 